If you love scratches from the Virginia Lottery, you'll love the high roller blackjack scratcher with a chance to win up to 10 times your prize. Look for it at your favorite Virginia Lottery retailer. In fact, you can drive there right now. Now that's an everyday win. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 4.16. Hey there, guys. Wanted to tell you about something new. I've launched a Patreon account, patreon.com slash Brand. People have asked about getting more content, more insight, more information from me, and now that's available through various tiers. If you're able to join on patreon.com, you can get shout-outs from me. You can get the Business of Sports podcast transcripts. You can get Ask Andrew questions, weekly newsletters, all kinds of ways to interact with me, including a monthly conversation about whatever you want to talk about, jobs in the sports industry, breaking into sports. It's all available now on patreon.com, Andrew Brandt. If you're able, please join, select your tier, and be able to have further content and interaction with me. Patreon.com slash Andrew Brandt. I hope you join. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Special guest today, John Heyman, Major League Baseball insider, variety of roles that he's had in media and print and digital and, of course, on MLB Network. John Heyman will go inside the baseball negotiations. We now have a baseball season coming up. Uh, for a while there, it was hard to believe that we would with so much enmity between the sides. I wanted someone to really talk about it who knew the insides of the negotiations, who knew what was going on between the Major League Baseball Players Association and the Major League Baseball owners. And I think it'll be a harbinger of things to come for the NFL. Not quite as antagonistic to becoming because the NFL will have a full schedule, they think, and will have some fans, they think, compared to baseball. So we'll see what goes on. But Upcoming, John Heyman, the fantastic baseball insider and writer and uh, broadcaster, joining us. First, my rant of the week. It's about the Cam Newton signing. Just want to push back against the narrative that this is such a great signing. And the Patriots, of course, they're always considered to be so uh, shrewd with these signings. Let's just be real here. Cam Newton was on the street, as they say. Not one, not two, not three, but four months before someone signed him. Which, in other words, Bill Belichick played the market, saw it get to the rock bottom, and signed his player. The contract states it's up to $7.5 million, which really means it's about a million dollars. And then all these incentives. Salary cap 101, the incentives are probably unlikely to be earned, therefore don't count against the cap. In other words, he didn't play much his last year, so any incentives are based on that year. So if it's more than what he did in his last year, they count as unlikely to be earned and therefore not count against the cap until if and when they're earned at the end of the next season and then become a debit against the 21 cap. But that's where we are, Cam Newton signing. I'm like, you know, people ask, oh, how could he not be signed? Why didn't these other teams sign him? Listen, you get to a point with Cam Newton or Colin Kaepernick, take the politics out with Kaepernick, that teams look at it and say, I'm not sure I want that as my backup. And people can say, well, they should be starters. But no, they haven't proved that they should be starters in very recent memory. They can prove that they were starters if you look years ago, sure. And Cam Newton not was good. He was great. But it's a was. Not an is. Was. And I think sometimes people get caught up in that whole, well, he was an MVP, so... A lot of MVPs are cut two, three years after their MVP. And that's where we are with Cam Newton. So I just think we have to hold the phone on the excitement level 
and why he wasn't signed earlier. Because the the role of a backup quarterback, let's be serious, is to serve the starter. And teams look at Cam Newton or Kaepernick or others and say, can that person be the best person to really serve our starter? Not because of any personality defects, but just because of what they've experienced, almost like too qualified for the job. And that's, I think, what went on with Cam Newton. And by the way, the Patriots, oh my God. Did they play this media <laughs> like a fiddle? I mean, they had this unfriendly story about being docked a million dollars in a third-round draft pick for illegally videotaping a game between, I think, the Browns and Bengals. And within minutes of the Cam Newton story, that kind of comes out. Now, come on. That was obviously pre-planned, and they had their media sources work for them on that, the Patriots. One of those stories, maybe both, either signing Cam Newton or getting docked these penalties from the league for their cheating with videotaping, was obviously held for a while until the until either the other story matured. And, of course, they come out the same in order to take the blow away from being uh, docked. They have the Cam Newton story. Well played by the Patriots PR. It's just kind of so transparent that we, as a reading public, kind of were played by that as well. But anyway, Cam Newton, good signing. Okay, fine. You know, he's going to compete with the other guys making a million dollars. There'll be about a $5 million charge for Patriots quarterbacks who are active this year and $13.5 million for the Patriots quarterback who's inactive playing for another team named Tom Brady. So maybe I'm showing a little anti-bias against the Patriots. I'm really, I guess, I'm not against the Patriots. I'm against kind of this universal opinion or narrative about the Patriots. I mean... <laughs> Okay, the way that they just sort of smooth out this penalty where any other team would be a massive story. But the Patriots, oh yeah. Oh, by the way, we, we did that too after we signed Newton. All right, enough football. Let's get to the baseball negotiations. Baseball is about to start up again. People thought it couldn't happen because of the enmity, the, the antagonism between the players and the owners. Let's go inside those negotiations in the business of sports, how we came to an agreement, or maybe even not, you wouldn't even call it an agreement, and baseball is going to start up again. Without further ado, my guest for this week's Business of Sports podcast, Major League Baseball Insider, John Heyman. John Heyman's been around baseball from so many angles, a writer, a broadcaster, insider, glad to have him on the program. Just sort of open this up, John. Were you surprised that baseball... A, had so much time coming to agreement, and did you have a realistic thought that this wouldn't happen here in 2020? Yeah, I knew they intended to play, so I, I know I knew they were going to forge forward, uh, provided that the COVID numbers uh, didn't get too far out of control. So I'm not surprised that we're going to try to play, and I say try because uh, still we, we'll see how we do in controlling the, the numbers. Uh, you know, they're not getting that much better at the moment. I, I am surprised uh, that they weren't able to come to an agreement uh, more quickly. Uh, Rob Manfred, the commissioner, has been there 25 years. Before that was the head negotiator and has always been able to come to agreements, whether it was uh, Don Fear and Gene Orza in charge of the Players Union or, uh, or whether it was Michael Weiner or Rich Shapiro was the lead negotiator. And uh, the Players Union brought in a new lead negotiator. He's a bit of a pit bull, 
named Bruce Meyer, and he came in to try to uh, knock some heads around, apparently. And, uh, you know, I don't know whether he's just not an agreeable fellow, but he just didn't want to agree with anything uh, that the owners were offering. And I think he was the influence there, uh, the main influence. And, and some of the players, too, uh, I think, uh, understood that the owners had gotten some good deals recently and made a lot of money in recent years. And, uh, you know, they were kind of in a, in a fighting mood. Uh, I would have liked to have seen the deal done. Uh, I think it would have been better for baseball to have agreement, to have labor peace. Uh, to have maybe a little bit better feeling going into the CBA negotiations and not have a grievance hanging over their heads because really that's the big thing that the players got other than the 60 games prorated. And I agree the players should have gotten prorated pay all along, even though I didn't think it was uh, set in stone in that March 26th agreement. Um, I I think that's fair that they get prorated pay, but I I would have preferred they figure out some other perks for them to get rather than a grievance, which doesn't really help anybody but potentially the players yeah i'm going to pick up on a couple things you said number one i mean i think we're all clear that rob manfred who's negotiated cbas for decades is the lead negotiator for the players for the uh, owners but i'm not sure a lot of people know what you just said they just see tony clark as the face in front of the players and they assume it was his uh aggressive negotiating if you will that sort of held this up along with the owner's side but you mentioned this character we haven't really heard a lot about. So Bruce Meyer was the lead negotiator, and you'd feel like it was him more than Clark that kind of held this up on their side? Yeah, I absolutely do. In fact, I think basically Clark and uh, Rob Manfred, uh, in what I think was a, an agreement, <laughs> uh, and what uh, Manfred announced as the framework of a deal, um, I think they were working it out, and uh, you know, I think uh, ultimately uh, the union didn't love it, and uh, they they had the option there because both sides understood uh, Manfred and Clark that their constituency would have to ultimately approve it. Manfred understood that the owners were going to approve whatever he was going to come up with. Uh, it's a little bit easier when you have thirty owners that are fairly like-minded, not completely, but you have a. a a constituency of a thousand players represented by a hundred plus agents. It's a little more difficult for Clark. So I, I Manfred understood that whatever they negotiated out in his house in Arizona on that Monday, um, that the players would have to approve it. And, uh, the understanding at least that Manfred had and the owners had was that they could come back and say, you know what? Uh, Clark could have told them I couldn't sell, uh, 60 games. Can you make it 64 or something like that? And they would have had a deal. Uh, but to come back and say that it's now it wasn't an agreement or a framework of a deal, it was just a proposal, and this is what we really want, uh, that was really what hurt it. They Twice they had an agreement and didn't really understand the first time uh, what the agreements exactly said. That was the March 26th agreement, whether the pay was going to be automatically prorated or not. And then this time where Manfred thought they had the framework of a deal or basically a uh, a tentative agreement, and uh, Clark ultimately said that it was a proposal. I mean, it's a very odd thing to have it be a proposal when they're both negotiating for five hours, and there's give and take and doing horse trading, and uh, Manfred has given in on the prorated and several other items, and it seemed to be the product of a negotiation, 
And then for the players and union to come back and say, oh, that, by the way, that was a proposal. And it's nice that Tony Clark got to work on it with you for three, four hours. And uh, now we have our own proposal and it's much, much more. So um, they're really not on the same page. Uh, That's part of the issue as well. But I do think that Clark should have had a lawyer with him. Yeah. Uh, he's a smart guy, but he's a ball player by trade. Uh, he should have had a lawyer with him, whether it be Bruce Meyer or somebody else, uh, for the sit-down with, with Rob Manfred, because it certainly uh, was a confusing episode. And was there dissension, not dissension, probably division, I guess is a better word, within the ranks? We'll talk about each side. First, among the players, and I know, you know, this... The, the initial proposals heavily impacted the high-paid star players, the Trouts and the Kershaws and the Coles, more than the lowest, the minimum guys. But it obviously is now prorated. Did you dissent, d- detect any, you know, uh, strategy and/or reality of kind of divide and conquer within the players group, or were one set of players more into, you know? being aggressive and one set more into just taking whatever we could get. Yeah. That first uh, proposal by the owners, uh, which was a tiered uh, proposal, or uh, some might even call it the the socialistic proposal, the Bernie Sanders proposal, where the really rich players got taxed much, much more heavily. uh, And the uh, players who would make the minimum uh, were going to do better. Uh, the, the players uh, saw that as a divide and conquer strategy by the owners trying to get the a situation where the young players would be in favor and the older and more uh, veteran and higher paid guys would be against and they'd fight. I, you know, I, it may have been a, a, a byproduct. I don't know that that was the reason. I think the reason that the owners did it that way is because uh, there's more money to get back from the uh, high-paid players. Uh, if you're going to uh, cut somebody's salary by two-thirds, uh, you know, if someone like Mike Trout or Garrett Cole is making $35 million plus, you're getting back $20 million plus. If you cut somebody's salary by two-thirds who's making the minimum, you're not bringing much back. So I, I just think it was, uh, <clears throat> you know, I don't think the owners are socialists. I, I think they were trying to... Uh, save money and that was the way to do it and uh ultimately i think the players voices that mattered were the veteran players the star players and the young players while some of them may have been fine with it uh weren't ready to buck uh the system weren't ready to buck the leadership weren't ready to buck the uh star players and it just it just didn't work out it was it was too much cuts to begin with as well from the owners i thought um and ultimately the players got their way on the prorated pay and I think that that's fair. I think the pro- players uh, should be uh, paid, uh, you know, a day's wage for a, a day's work. I, I think that's fair. At some point, and this has not been reported anywhere yet, uh, the players actually asked for more than a day's pay uh, for a day's work, uh, in, in a sense, because they, they'd ask that if the season is cut short, uh, let's say Manfred has to cancel uh, the season, he has that uh, he, he has that option as Disposal if the COVID gets out of hand, let's say the season is cut in half and only 30 games are played, uh, the players' side had asked that they still get paid uh, for the 60 games. That kind of flies in the face of the day's pay for a day's work. So uh, ultimately, the owners did not agree to that. It doesn't hurt to ask. I don't blame the players yeah. for asking for that. But uh, if you're asking for a day's pay for a day's work, 
on one hand, uh, you know, the owners looked at it as, well, now you're getting more if, if we have to cut the season and we'll lose even more money. So that, that, that didn't work out for them. Yeah, I mean, and let's talk about the owner side now. They just, I sort of brought up dissension in the ranks. There was something going around out there that owners, and I'm assuming small market owners, were either saying or thinking that maybe they're better off not even playing. I, I mean, did you, did you sense from the owner's side some sense that, hey, you know, why are we even doing this? Or let's be even more aggressive than, than Rob is being. Yeah, at different times, there, there, there were some owners. I heard there was a group of hardline owners. And I, I'm not sure whether it was a small market or a big market. It may have been more about the personality of the owners. And uh, I think historically, uh, one of the hardline owners has been Artie Moreno from uh, the Angels. You know, I'm not, I don't want to guess too much at who the other hardline owners could be. But in the past, he, he's been pretty hardline when it comes to uh, uh, union activity and negotiations with the union. Um, but I, I think it was a small group, and I don't think it was ever a threat that they weren't, weren't going to play a season. I think that uh, Rob Manfred was smart to get in there, that uh, he could ultimately set a schedule or mandate a season, whatever you want to call it, as long as he paid the players uh, prorated. And uh, he was not going to let that be part of the legacy, or nor let that happen to baseball, uh, that uh, the season would be canceled uh, completely over economics. Particularly now, certainly it would be embarrassing with the uh, NBA and the NHL forging ahead, at least planning for a season, uh, contact sports that are, are played indoors. So, um, you know, I'm, I, I think that was smart to, to get that written in there. And uh, ultimately, I, I felt there was no chance that we were going to have a season canceled unless uh, the coronavirus got out of hand. I know there are people reporting that, but I think they hadn't read the uh, March 26th agreement closely enough. And in, in there, it was clear that Manfred was allowed to set a schedule, start a season. And in my mind, there was no chance he was going to do that to his legacy or to the game uh, to cancel the season. And there weren't enough owners, uh, whether it were three or six or seven, I'm not sure. It would have taken eight to, to cancel the season. And I, I don't, doubt it got, ever got to that point. And, and Manfred was not going to let it get to eight voting no, we're not going to have a season. That, that just was not going to happen. More from Major League Baseball insider John Heyman on the inner workings of what brought baseball to the fore, where it's finally starting up again in July. But first, a word from DraftKings. They brought their expertise to legal sports betting. Legitimate sports book based right here in the U.S. You can rest assured your funds are totally secure. You can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Now, during this week, we got all these things in action for DraftKings. The English Premier League, Spanish La Liga, German Bundesliga Soccer, and more. Head to the app right now. Check out what they have to offer. Player props, live betting, so much more. DraftKings. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Now use code ROSS, all caps, R-O-S-S, when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook. Sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Enter that code ROSS when you sign up. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit and first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Now back with John Heyman talking about Major League Baseball negotiations towards this 60-game season starting up soon. 
So you mentioned COVID. <laughs> we sit here today on June 29th. We have spikes. Uh, Florida, Texas, California, where obviously a lot of teams are, are, are located. And, you know, you sort of figure out, okay, we got 110 pages of protocols. We got no fans. But they're not bubbling, as you said, like basketball and hockey. I, I mean, I guess my obvious question is, we know it's going to start. You think it's going to finish? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to bet on that. I don't want to predict it. Uh, they do have the 113-page uh, operations manual or health and safety protocol, uh, whatever you want to call it, and it is very thorough. Uh, you, people on the player side think they did a good job with it from what I hear, uh, but in it's hard to predict what's going to happen with the with the COVID nineteen. Uh, I, I don't think anybody knows. Uh, I think we're probably a little better off than we were three and a half months ago when it shut down. But you're right; it's absolutely spiking uh, throughout the South, uh, Texas, Arizona, and uh, Florida, and then Southern California is is now having some problems too. So that that's a lot of teams. That's just not one or two or three teams. That's a lot of teams that are playing in those areas. Um, uh, players are going to have to be very careful and vigilant and the coaches and everybody else involved is going to have to really take this seriously. It's, uh, uh I'm not going to say joyless, but uh, it's certainly going to be a lot more onerous than the normal spring training. That's why I don't like to call it summer camp. It's a pretty serious situation right now. And, um, I know that already we've had a few players reprimanded for, uh, not doing, uh, exactly the right protocols. Uh, I know that we had a birthday party in one situation that caused an outbreak. Uh, we had a get together in Arizona that, uh, caused, that may have caused a few, uh, positive cases. We're going to have positive cases and, uh, you know, uh, they're going to have to just do the best with all of it and we'll see. Uh, I'm not in the prediction business and in this case, uh, you know, I'm not, making any guarantees and neither is baseball. Uh, there are no guarantees here. You mentioned the protocols and, and forgive me, I haven't gone through exactly what are the, what are the categories, if you will, in baseball now, if a player tests positive for COVID, is it, is it mandatory quarantining or other players isolated? Yes. Go ahead. Yes. It's mandatory quarantine for the player who tests positive and uh, they'll keep a closer eye on the other players who've been in contact uh, with with that player. Um, uh, the players are going to be tested every two days. The other people around the team, they've, they've really spent a lot of time on this. People are in Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3, Tier 1, basically, as players, uh, and they will be tested every other day. Um, you know, uh, I think they're learning as they go because I think in the voluntary camps, at the sites where guys were rehabbing, they were just having their temperature checked. And I think uh, we realize at this point that isn't quite good enough. There are asymptomatic cases. So uh, they're doing uh, the testing and they've got the testing set up where they can now uh, test relatives and other people. And they're really going to do a ton of testing and they say hey, they have it set right. But yes, if uh, somebody tests positive and somebody will test positive, uh, many will test positive. I believe we already have uh, tens of cases uh, out there, scores of cases. Um, they will be quarantined for two weeks. Um, so, um, and the and the DL list or IL list, now as they're calling it, uh, is is open ended in terms of the number of days. 
for guys that could be two weeks or it could be longer, but you're going to be out for two weeks if you are t- testing positive. And I guess the question I have is what about um, – will, will, will the players be told – I mean, I guess these sort of HIPAA – I mean, will we know who's positive, who's not? Obviously, we'll see – I mean, we're going to see it on the field, I guess, when players aren't out there. But this is always this is sort of a new area where we're finding out about these these players without their consent. Yeah, I mean, with uh, Philadelphia, we, they just gave you the number of players. I think it was five originally attested positive, and then two more, and they didn't uh, announce who the which, which players. It was Tommy Hunter was reported as one. Um, I believe Hector Harris was another one, but they did not. Reported and not been reported who they were, uh, other than Hunter. And um, I saw in Colorado that Charlie Blackman and two other players who, who were named uh, were reported. I mean, you know, uh, I, I, if somebody's on the IL for it, I think uh, they're going to have to say uh, who it is at that point. Uh, now we're not even to spring training, so maybe they're saying the HIPAA laws. But uh, they've always said in the past when somebody is on the uh, disabled list or the injured list, whatever they're calling it, um, what the, what the ailment is. So, um, I'm assuming, and we don't know yet, we're not to that point, or I'm assuming, uh, that we will know, um, you know, certainly the, the players will have to know and, and they'll have to maybe do some contact tracing, uh, within the team, uh, or maybe even the other teams, the opposing teams. Uh, so it, it probably will become clear who's been, who's been tested positive. But as I said, I don't expect it to be one or two people, uh, this has become pretty prevalent in our country. Um, the, the, the fortunate thing is that uh, uh, the guys uh, are generally in excellent shape and uh, average around 28 years old or so, and uh, that category has dealt well with the COVID. So um, I think that is the reason that they can even forge ahead with this, um, that the uh, most people, uh, almost all the people who are, who've been in that category have been able to uh, deal with it and, and recover. Um, so that's, that certainly is the hope. Uh, and, uh, we're, we're, we're all very hopeful that, uh, everything goes okay, but we will see a lot of cases, I'm sure. Yeah. In our final moments, I want to just ask you, uh, someone that is inside the game and you've heard so much out there that baseball blew it. They're, they're turning off fans. They had a chance to be first. They had a chance to have the entire sports spotlight to themselves. And now they're going to be lumped in with basketball, hockey, soccer, et cetera. I mean, do you look at it that way where, where baseball is kind of this, uh, ridiculed sport about their labor problems and never seem to get it right on the, labor, on the marketing, on the taking advantage of the stage. Is that harsh? I know. I understand it at this point. I mean, I think uh, Commissioner Manfred even said the optics were a disaster at one point in a TV interview. Um, Certainly did not look good. Uh, They did actually have labor peace for 25 straight years with no work stoppages of even a day. And I've been around long enough before 1990, the problem in 1994 or 95, where we would have some work stoppages in certainly 94, 95, where you had the World Series uh, canceled. Uh, that that was the big one. And, you know, some people will never forgive baseball for that. Most people have kind of bounced back in two and a half decades of uh, generally doing a good job, uh, getting deals done, uh, help, 
this is a setback. Uh, no question about it. Um, I think uh, the owners got really good deals in recent years. Uh, made a ton of money, and the, the players hired a pit bull and uh, really fought back. And uh, even with a good offer, they didn't take it. They they want to do the grievance. I, I do think this is not good for the sport to have a grievance hanging over the head. They couldn't even figure out uh, let's ha- let's do the expanded playoffs. And I'm hopeful still, still they still could amend things and agree to an expanded playoff system for this year. They have until July 23rd, which is the scheduled opening day um, to figure out, obviously, once the season starts, you can't change the rules. You can't now say we've got 10 playoff teams, we're going to have 16, but uh, they still have nearly a month to figure that out. And I, maybe I'm being naive. I'm still hopeful they can figure it out because expanded playoffs helps both sides. And the players looked at it as a, as a negotiating point because it helps the owners more, uh, at least initially. Uh, but I, I'm very hopeful uh, that the players will uh, be able to come to an agreement with the owners on, on the expanded playoffs. I, I'm not giving up yet. I haven't lost hope for these two sides. Do you think looking back, whatever happens, assuming they finish this season off, there will be asterisks? And, and I guess I'm kind of rolling my eyes at asterisks. It's, it's whoever decides to, to give the weight that they want to give of, something like this, they can, but asterisks to me are a little bit like subjective in the eye of the beholder. What is your thought? <laughs> well, they're not going to give an asterisk. The champion will be the champion. Um, yeah. We've had previous seasons that weren't 162 games in 1995. I believe it was 144 games. Uh, 1981, we had a work stoppage, was not 162 games. So it's we've had seasons like this in the past. Uh, this one will obviously be shortened even further. Uh, we'll have still have two rounds uh, to get to the World Series. I'm hopeful we'll add another one, have th- three. So it's still going to have to go through a gauntlet. He's still going to have a champion. I still think the champion will be looked on as the real champion by most people. There will not be an asterisk, uh, but in, in some people's minds there might be. I would say this, you know, if you someone bats 400, I would put an asterisk on that. That to me is not a Ted Williams 400. But, uh, you know, anything can happen in a 60-game season. Um, uh, you know, we might have a, a Cy Young winner who goes 1-5. Uh, and five with, You know, I mean, he's obviously have a good other record. But we're going we're gonna to have some statistical oddities this year, no question about it. But, uh, I, you know, to me, a champion will still be a champion. There'll still be a lot to get through, maybe different things to get through in terms of get, staying healthy and doing the right things to stay on the field. Either way, to me, that champion is still a champion. Appreciate it, John. I mean, I think I think all these leagues starting baseball, hockey, basketball, soccer, I think they'll all start. I'm not sure they'll all finish. <laughs> I'm just I'm not being yeah. negative. I think that this this society, this this health crisis is raging, and uh, it's almost a matter of time where it affects a pocket of people that could prevent competitive balance from being played. That's my thought. You might be right. I mean, uh, you know, it might take a serious illness. Unfortunately, we're praying nothing like that happens. Or, I mean, what happens if one team just catches fire and there's just an outbreak and you, let's say you don't have a team, uh, you have, you know, two thirds of their players are on the DL. Uh, how do they, Square that. How do they figure that out? So, yeah, I, I, I think we'll probably get to the starting line. Uh, will we get to the finish line? And like I said, I would not guarantee it. I'm 
I'm with you, Andrew, on that one. <laughs> Appreciate it, John. Appreciate all your insights into these negotiations. And we got baseball back. It's uh, by hook or crook. It's coming, and we'll be following mm-hmm. it. Excellent. Thanks for all your insights. Thanks for being on the podcast. Enjoy your time before it all gets going again. Talk soon. Sounds good, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks to my friend John on great info about baseball. We talked a lot about baseball, whether it was going to happen or not. It is. There's an inside look on what went on. And that'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports. Appreciate all these who follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt. And now Patreon site is up. Sign up for tiers of access, premium content, more content, more access to me at patreon.andrewbrandt. Apple Podcast rankings always appreciated. Thanks to my music producer, Sam Brandt, my producer extraordinaire, Brian Neal. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. If you love scratches from the Virginia Lottery, you'll love the high roller blackjack scratcher with a chance to win up to 10 times your prize. Look for it at your favorite Virginia Lottery retailer. In fact, you can drive there right now. Now that's an everyday win. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 4.16.